0: Life Audio.
1: we begin today's discussion, I wanted to share about a fun giveaway I am hosting in December. I will be selecting one person randomly from my newsletter subscriber list to receive a book bundle. In that bundle includes Stand in Confidence by Amanda Pittman, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood by Allie Worthington, Rooted, A Girlfriend Gathering Study of Philippians by Becky Harling, Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends by Brandi Wilson, and A Faith That Will Not Fail by Michelle Couchet. If you are not a subscriber, you still have time to subscribe to my newsletter and get in on the drawing. You can do so by visiting my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I don't like conflict. I don't like it when people dislike me. And I certainly don't like it when people actively oppose me and whatever I feel God is leading me to do. And when this occurs, I tend to feel threatened, vulnerable, and afraid. And I'm afraid that I'll experience harm physically, emotionally, maybe financially. In some situations, I might even feel as if all three of those areas are under attack. And this is one of the reasons I have such admiration for people who courageously persevere in the face of opposition. And that leads me to today's episode, the first in a three and potentially four-part series on standing strong amidst opposition, a posture my guest today, Diana Assad, exemplifies. Diana, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Diana is an award-winning author an international speaker and master certified intensive coach and Christian counselor. With specialized training in solution-oriented approaches, she finds great joy in creating safe spaces for people to encounter renewed hope. She has developed unique tools and techniques for her methods to help people live with intention and connection. Diana and her husband, Hanny, are of Egyptian descent and co-pastor in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And they have three amazing daughters, you can connect with her at Dianaassad.com, which I'll put in the show notes along with their social media handles. So Diana, I know because you and I talked before this episode, you know what it's like to faithfully obey God and then find yourself in an incredibly challenging, hostile situation, correct? Unfortunately, on more occasions than I'd like to count. And
0: I, I, you know,
1: as you were talking earlier,
0: I don't think anybody really likes conflict too much. But we find ourselves sometimes in those positions in life where we've got to really rethink conflict in order to follow God's heart. Because I think the goal in all relationships isn't to be conflict-free, but it's how to have healthy conflict that can grow us and not hurt one another, right? And if we can rethink it, I think we'll grow and we will be less conflict-averse, maybe, maybe. Parts of my story, uh, you know, how we, we started talking was because during the beginnings of COVID, we found ourselves in a very interesting season of life. My husband and I are from originally, our, our family of origin is from Egypt. And so being Egyptian Christians, you are the minority within the minority, um, especially being more Protestant or of that kind of expression. And we found ourselves in, in America pursuing ministry. All of our life, we've been in different expressions of ministry and, and born into it a little bit. My my grandfather founded the Protestant Church in Cairo. Wow. Oh, so, yeah. So lineage of history of faith, but it's always been challenging and oppositional in a lot of places and ways. And we found ourselves taking on a role, right right as COVID was happening, of being placed as pastors in a church that was very oppositional is a good word. And I think that they had never really been exposed to anybody different than their little bubble. And so where do we stand as believers? Where do we follow God closely, even if it's uncomfortable? I heard this recently and it really stuck out for me. And I think it, it might apply here too. That if we are never allowed to be uncomfortable, if we don't allow God to stretch us, we will never really meet him as the great comforter. And wow. that's why names. So, you know, through that season we learned a lot and we grew, but we knew that um we were following him closely. And as long as he said that this is our place, we he would provide what we needed, whether that was, you know, comfort, whether that was confirmation, um, whether that was just stretching us
1: for whatever he had for us. So yeah. Well I, I imagine that was was painful. And I'm I'm just gonna call it what it is. So they were racist, is that Would you, is that fair to say? We encountered some generational patterns of bias and yeah, I would call it some racism. Yeah. And I want to say that I want to just call it what, because some of our listeners for them, church isn't a safe place.
0: Yeah. I hear your heart. And I want to speak into that a little bit, if I may,
1: you know, I think we as
0: a church in general need to do better. And it was very blindsiding and disorienting because we thought we were safe if you will. Or we had we had thick skin because we'd been around a lot of expressions of that. And what we've realized is people regardless just don't know how to do different if they've never encountered different. And we've got to get curious because that's the way of Jesus and he's our example. He crossed racial and segregated divides to give us an example of what we're to do as a church. So it grieves my heart a little bit when we hear that that people have this idea of church not being a safe space and they're right right? But we are called each of us to do our part to change that narrative. So stepping into a place where they had been very homogenous and very used to one way for the last 25 years. And here we are very different coming from a different part of the world. While our faith aligned on paper, they didn't know what to expect. And so they didn't know us. Our denomination had placed us in And here we are coming in. So our very first Sunday before our official Sunday at church, actually, which was COVID Sunday in March, when everything in the world was shutting down. That was our first official Sunday, a few days before one of the key leaders sat us down and said, I need to have a meeting with you before you come in. And we thought, you know, we were coming in very optimistic and saying, sure, that sounds great. We have a lot to talk about, too. But our discussions quickly were steered in a direction that we didn't see coming he sat us down and said I represent half the church and we can't be under leadership of you people wow and it was very disorienting Jen if I'm being honest it was it caught us off guard because we're coming in and maybe many of your listeners can kind of relate to that where you thought you were stepping into a place where you thought the same acceptance and love and right And then you realize, no, no, there's a, there's a gap here. There's a divide. And I think we do fear rejection and that is triggered in those situations and issues. And so here we are saying, what do you mean us people? Can you help, help us understand what that means? And the conversation quickly went South from there. It went into very tense, very accusatory. Um, And then he just out of nowhere said, "Are, are you, are you calling me a white supremacist? And we had to pause for a second and say, wait, those words never came out of our mouth. And it was that moment that we were like, no, we're to hold our peace, right? We knew that God had called us. We maybe didn't understand the why in that moment, but we knew he had placed us in this place for the, a reason and a season.
1: Can I pause you here? Because yes. I, I want to speak to those who, first of all, that's really hard to have. I would think there would be just even no matter how rational and calm and, and healthy you are to have like this gut level feeling of threat. Right. I mean, that to me, I, I think that's how I would feel. And how do you, in that moment, both process that, recognize the wickedness of that perspective and presentation, and then also hold your peace. Like without, also without, I've just thrown like 500 questions at you, but without saying like, this is okay, but you know, so that's a lot of, that's really messy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's excellent. I think, don't get me wrong, my husband's a lot less filtered than I am. He he was born in Egypt and grew up there and he doesn't have the Western filters that we do. So if he sees it, he's going to say it. And so I was having to kind of put my hand on his leg a little bit and just say, you know, kind of calm him under the table because I could see him really getting angry and I don't think it was misplaced. Right. Right? There was definitely like a, we thought we were on the same team here and we're clearly not. Right. So how is this okay? Right. And everything seemed like it was being twisted in that moment. And it was very disorienting and hurtful. But to realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Even in that moment. To engage God and to pause and say, I feel my emotions rising and I don't feel like they're unjustified. Like this is wrong. But it's almost like casting pearls to swine, as it says in scripture, having to know who's in front of you and what you're engaging with, that this person is not going to receive wisdom because right. they're not of wisdom.
1: Right. So can you, can you maybe explain that analogy to those who've never heard of it? Yeah. Is-
0: yeah. Jesus said that. And he used that analogy. He said, be, in in, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, your words are valuable. They are like pearls and you have to know when your pearls will be received and for who they are for. And he said, be mindful not to cast those precious things, your words, to cast them to swine. And he's not demeaning or degrading a person. He's saying, be mindful that not everybody is prepared or able to receive what you have to offer. And so maybe that's a lesson hard learned. You tend to walk into situations, whether they're in church or whether they're in their work or whether they're in relationship, thinking people process like us or think like us or experience like us. And that is really not the case, right? What we found is that we were encountering generational bias, generational hate. A lot of people in this group had not encountered something different. And I think it was really epitomized because for three and a half years, we watched and struggled and and did follow God and expanded and, and did things where we ended up moving the church because for one reason or another, rent was really high. And so we moved into an area that we could afford the rent and the area wasn't the greatest of areas. And it was a predominantly homeless, predominantly drug-infested area around us, but we knew that God was
1: placing us in this neighborhood. Can I pause you again? I have a question here. Was it at any point, maybe even initially, was that ever discouraging? Did you ever feel like, I'm hitting this, and I'm hitting this, and and then boom, now what?
0: You know, I think it was discouraging and faith-stretching at the same time. Because if I'm being honest, I experienced a lot of anxiety through that time. Yeah, and I would wrestle with God, like, it's not supposed to look like this right. Saturday night. Like, I shouldn't be <laughs> yeah. anxious for Sunday morning. Yeah. And yet I knew he was in it. Yet I could sense his peace that surpasses all understanding. And if we look at that, what does that really mean to us? It's not just pretty words on paper. It's a peace that surpasses. like My understanding cannot fathom why I have peace right now. And yet that's what was guarding and guiding my heart. So while there was opposition for sure, even in the moving, I watched my husband stand up for what he believed God was doing in our life in that moment and what he heard God say throughout. So I remember taking that position, by the way, it was challenging even financially because we took on a lot of debt. We came in $25,000 in debt. And I watched him instead of like being hopeless and saying COVID and having all the reasons why this isn't going to work. Right to saying we serve a big God, and if He's called us, then He's going to provide. I don't know how, but we we learn to trust. We get to trust Him.
1: Yeah, you you trusted God's character and faithfulness more than the how. It sounds like
0: so good. Yeah, absolutely. And I would remember it like the treasurer going to the mailbox and getting like all these checks and being like, he would come back and ask us, "Do you know this person?" They just sent five thousand dollars, and we were like, "No idea who that person is." And we watched God not just change that narrative in the finances, but also lead us to steward well for that season. And so in the transition, we were like, it's not wisdom to be paying this much every month when our finances need to be in order. So we moved, right? And in that move, it was a God thing because we are moving them into a neighborhood that has great need, but great difference. I mean, it was very racially and culturally and very different than what the majority of the people had encountered. And we watched them grow. And we watched the ones, the remnant that would remain, change some brain patterns, change some generational patterns. And we watched God do his work. I think it culminated in, as we were getting ready to kind of, we we sensed that the season was over. We could see the markers and we began to pray into, well, God, if if the season here is done, then lead us as you have led us. Right? Um, and so we ended up closing out that chapter, if you will, a few months ago. And one lady who had been with us from the beginning, a little reluctant, if I'm being honest, but was there nonetheless because God was doing the work in her heart. She got up at the end and the the very last day said, "I just want you to know what you've done is changed not just me, but our whole house and our kids and our grand grandkids. Because before you don't know about us is that my granddad was a part of the KKK. Wow. That's all we knew." My dad was raised under it. I was raised to keep people like you far away. And instead, you've taught me to open my arms to people who may not look like me, think like me, act like me, but they're my brothers and my sisters. Yeah. So yeah, challenges for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. What I love, there's a few things I really love listening to you talk. First of all, in your perseverance through the opposition, you became the voice of many right? Like she had this generational wickedness that had had infested her family and and would have continued. You stayed the course and God used that to break chains and and lead her towards increased life, right? And then the other thing I love, I was thinking as you're talking about David, ancient Israel's second king, he wrote a psalm about saying, to God, you prepare a table for me in the middle of my enemies. And I I think of how many times in scripture where God will call the person who's been unjustly treated to pray for those who like, and not just, you know, I'm thinking of Moses, the man who led actually the Israelites out of Egypt. So there's a connection of Egypt, but, and his sister and brother turned against him at one point, And God told Moses to pray for them because it's kind of, and so God brought the blessing through the very people that the church originally hated and tried to shut out. And what a, what a beautiful example. It's like, he's saying, look, you guys, I am doing a mighty work through these people. Are you really going to sit on the sidelines?
0: Yeah. And and I think that those lessons are still relevant for us today. I think fear is an undercurrent and it's a tool of the enemy in a lot of ways until we disarm it in our life. And we can disarm it when we understand its goals, right? Fear's goals a lot of times is to protect. It protects us from harm. We want to protect ourselves. We've been hurt And so the guard goes up. Fear wants to avoid or hide or resist, and it's resistant to change or the unknown. But faith is the opposite of these things. It's saying, hey, water doesn't make sense to walk on, but I need you to go ahead and put your feet out of the boat and take a step into the unknown, knowing that that's fearful, doesn't make sense, and I will be with you. Right. And that is that dichotomy or that stretching between the faith and the fear. Like I have a choice here. And for me, when I feel that fear, I really do have to remind myself like, okay, where am I not trusting? Where do I have a new opportunity to maybe trust God where I wasn't? For me, I think in this season of my life, it comes out mostly with my kids because
1: (laughs) (laughs) they have our hearts, right? Like, yeah.
0: (laughs) They really do. And I think it's part of that, like learning to let go and trusting. Like, I want to just save them from all the heartache and the mistakes and all the things. And yet they have to make these choices for themselves. And for me, it's like, well, where are you not trusting me? Do you not know that I love them more than you? Yes, I do, God. But help me in my unbelief. Help yeah. me. Trust you better. Help me in my faith. And it's, so it's an opportunity for me to examine my heart and say, okay, maybe this is this area that I've been trying to hold on to or protect.
1: I'm also wondering, I know Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So he's always leading us towards increased freedom. I would be curious to know, maybe you won't know until you step into another hard season, which he promised was coming, right? But I would be curious to know, stepping into that opposition, pushing through your fear and your anxiety, you talked about being faith stretching. Do you feel like the next time you encounter a similar situation that maybe your anxiety won't be as high? Maybe you'll feel a little freer in God's grace and peace? You know- I think that it's it's kind of like the onion
0: effect, if you will. As I walk through healing, as I work walk through growth, as I walk through life, I encounter things that I think I've walked through and healed from. Yeah. Right? And you're you're thinking, why is this hurting me or bothering me like this? Didn't I forgive this person? Didn't I heal from this? And I feel like God is really gracious to us. Because for me, at least, it sounds like, yeah, you did. And now I'm bringing up this side. Or I want to take you deeper. So. I look at anxiety a little differently maybe than other people. And I know scripturally, and maybe I can touch on that with you in a moment, but I know scripturally it says, be anxious for nothing. I think that that's a gracious promise. Shepherding and promise instead of a hitting you on the head for those of us that maybe struggle with it. My anxiety is more an indicator that something needs attention rather than something that I live out of or that I run away from.
1: I love that. Say that again and and explain what do you mean by needs attention? Because some of our listeners might really be struggling for lots of reasons.
0: I love that. My anxiety is an indicator that something in my heart needs attention. And what do I mean by attention? Emotions in general are just indicators. They're not good or bad per se. They're indicators. And so I like to use this analogy when I work with people. It's like a stoplight. Like a stoplight, if I had one, red, yellow, and green, right? That's neither good or bad. It's just an instrument trying to tell me something, right? The red is telling me something. The yellow is telling me something. The green is telling me something. What I choose to do with that information is where the good and the bad comes in. I can choose to disobey the red and go anyway, and there might be a consequence, right? Especially if there's cars coming. So these are indicators. Our emotions are very similar. They operate very similarly. They're God's gift to us, actually. For us to lean in and understand, they weren't intended for us to live out of or operate out of or build our identities in, but rather for us to pay attention to and say, huh, sadness, I'm feeling grieved by something. What is that trying to tell me in my heart? And if I'm paying attention, I can decipher its message. And then I disarm the harder ones, or I don't have to let them get entangled. And now I'm living reactive, where that kind of seeps out on all relationships when we don't know how to decipher the messages. So my anxiety tells me sometimes, hey, something is underlying here. Something needs attention. You might be afraid of rejection. Are you putting your thoughts and efforts into what other people think? Where's your faith? And so as I get better at deciphering the messages, I'm able to bring new things to God and say, you know, God, apparently I do really have a lot of weight on what other people think. God, help me to not care less, but care in the right way, because it's your approval that I need the most and seek the most. So if I'm not paying attention to that, I'll let it build up and get entangled with other things. And now anxiety brings its friend frustration. And now we've got a whole hot soup of hard emotions that I don't know how to untangle. So I hope that answers the question.
1: Absolutely. No, that was really good. I'm also curious how much support you and your husband brought to each other during that time.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we got into marriage counseling and doing intensives because of our hot, holy mess. We walked through some hard things ourselves. And I believe that we needed our rock bottom in order to evaluate and learn God's different way of how to have relationship. So we make intentional time to connect and to kind of process together and process before God and to support one another. Now, ministry's not always been easy. So for me, there was some emotions that I was bringing to the table and hurts and things that I, if you'd asked me and maybe even today, uh, you know, do you, you want to have that kind of ministry? I would say, no. Not at all. I wouldn't choose it for myself. It, it came with a lot of baggage for me. There was a lot of hurt that happened in different expressions of that. And so it was talking honestly with each other throughout the process. Even saying to him, like, you know, I I'm feeling really heavy going into Sunday. Would you pray with me? Right. I need to decipher what if this is my own stuff and what if it maybe is a spiritual battle we're walking into. And leaning on each other throughout the process really helped us to seek God. And to comfort one another throughout, like when you feel like nobody's getting you and are you, did we miss God in this, right? We can come back to his promises. We can come back to, no, I can assure you, we didn't miss him. I saw this and and here's where we documented it along the way. And I think that's why he scribed throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. He had people really pay attention to what he was saying. And I think he talks to us today just
1: differently. And we should no less be not paying attention. We need to be paying attention. So, absolutely. Well, were there any moments where you just really felt God's presence or his encouragement? Anything that that kind of leaps to mind?
0: A lot of it, but you know, one of one of them purpose that comes to mind right away is we we really did live by faith through that season, not really knowing how things were going to make it every every month. And there was bills to be paid and and things like that. But I remember like one Thanksgiving, like God just put it on our hearts that we were going to bless. We had just moved into that more neighborhood area and there was a lot of need. And so we were like, well, we're going to we're going to do some Thanksgiving baskets and we're going to bless these neighbors and and people around us with Thanksgiving baskets. And so it was kind of set in faith. And then like, let's let's see what happens. (laughs) And God didn't just provide. He showed off and we don't know how. And and we saw the people engage in a way that was above generous, but it was even more than that in the delivery. So one of the ladies particularly took it upon herself to go and deliver these, her and her husband with my husband to the neighbors themselves. And she encountered a family where the man in the household had just lost his wife. And it was, it was an African American family. This is a white couple she'd not really interacted with anybody that was African-American before on this level. And she could see he was really struggling. Like we came in with the basket and he was already kind of weeping. And her engagement there was so God's presence embodied. Wow. She just wanted to hear his story. And he said, my wife died of cancer recently. And my son, who's autistic, he doesn't even know she's gone. And I don't know how to tell him. And he was in his like early twenties. So he wasn't a baby, but he didn't have the processing skills to fully grasp it. And he said, my, my, my son comes out every day and asks me, you know, where's mom? I want mom. And I, we just, we, we witnessed the compassion In her get activated for somebody who she didn't really know how to interact with before, and it was like God's presence filled the space. They had ended up adopting this household and didn't tell anybody. They would just come and sit with the son to get him more comfortable, so that the man could attend church every once in a while. So they would come throughout the middle of the week to just bring him some supplies, see if he needed anything, pray with him, and we'd found out closer to the end, like they'd been doing this didn't want recognition, didn't want anything because they really felt like God was calling them to this. So we definitely watch God encounter us in those ways over and over in story after story. And we, we saw his hand throughout it. So um, that's just one that really rises to that's the top. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. And how your faith initiated their faith. And you can just imagine this ripple effect, right? Of transformation, generational transformation and in, in God's grace. Now on another note, as we close out, I have discovered that you have quite a few resources to help people thrive. So I did download your free, it's the Emotionally, Emotionally Resilient Roadmap, Thrive in Life and Love. So I want to direct our listeners to that. I think it, it really speaks to what you're talking about today as well. And I'm looking forward to reading it. And I know you also do a lot of work helping people in their marriages, correct?
0: Yes. Really creating safe spaces for people and couples and individuals is our, is our heart. We walked a hard road and God reconstructed and it wasn't an easier linear path. And I, I, When I went back uh, for certifications and training and all the things, I just kept praying like, God, help me to make this easy and as digestible for people so it can be helpful. So we do three, four and five day marriage intensives. They are intense. You have to be ready for them because it's doing almost uh, a year's worth of work in a short period of time but the result, results it is you're talking about encountering God. It's like my favorite thing to do in the world. Cause I watch okay. people transform in, in, in front of my eyes. I have a couple this week who um, they're not coming to me from a faith background. And so, you know, when you've pursued the things of the world to the highest degree that you can, and it still leaves you empty. What an opportunity to just walk with people, love them, see them, not judge them or shame them, and teach them the skills, and then walk with them, because God does the rest of the work. It's really just beautiful, but marriage intensives is one of my the fun parts of what I get to do. It's really a beautiful thing, and we get to see um, marriages that are in crisis or on the verge of being destroyed, just um, have a new understanding tools and blueprints for doing it differently after they walk through the hard stuff with us. So
1: that's awesome. Well, like I said earlier, we'll put a link to your website in our show notes. And, and finally, I am intrigued by your latest release Journey to You, Fierce Freedom, Authentic Passion, Gracious God. So as we close out, can you tell us a little about that book? Yes. Thank you for asking about it. I have written over 12 books and this one took 10 years.
0: Oh, wow. This one was the journey of my heart. Okay. Now we- I
1: got to get it. Now I'm... <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> and in a nutshell, when we had moved from Florida to the Carolinas, we had hit our rock bottom relationally, financially, ministerially, in every direction. And it was a season for us to reorient and reacquaint ourselves with God and even ourselves, our own identity and our marriage. And I remember waking up every day and just God saying to my heart, something like, well, I'm going to reteach you the things I want to teach you. Wow. That's so encouraging. Oh, I love that. And it was a journey of like learning how to be content. I didn't even like that word. I was a hustler, a type A who only defined herself. Her worth was by her, what she did. And God was saying, no, I'm going to teach you what contentment looks like from my perspective. So you get to abide. And I remember when he dropped that word in my heart, I felt like I was being punished, Jen. I honestly was like, abide? I can't even sit still. (laughs) And he did. For two and a half years, he had me reading a woman's story in scripture. The woman is Mary of Bethany. And he unpacked so much in that. Why it matters to me today, why it matters to the readers that he was having me write this story for, and how the richness of her story really did parallel some hard things in my life. And then again, taking that reader on the journey to understanding why and how it matters to them. For instance, really quickly, that one of the chapters is called Name Confusion, because coming from the Middle East, my name is Diana, but my middle name is Abraham. And we changed our last name a few times for a few different reasons. Anyway. Um, I found out when I was in like going into high school, 17, 18, taking my SATs about 17, that my name wasn't actually Diana on my birth certificate It was Diane, because they were immigrants, somebody else wrote my birth certificate out. And they didn't, they raised me with one name. And I was a totally different name. And it doesn't seem like a lot for a lot of people. But for me, it was like, come on, like my name? I don't even like Diane. I like Diana. And he had me really digging into Mary's name. Mary means bitter. And Bethany in the Aramaic language, bait is indicative of house, like Bethlehem, house of bread. Bethany means house of struggle, Iania. And that was not something that I could pick up in an interlinear concordance. It's because of our nation, of, of our, our country of origin that I had familiarity with what that word meant. So you have this woman whose name means bitter, and she comes from a house of struggle. What does that mean for me? Well, no matter what you come from and what you've defined your name as, God has something greater for you, right? I love it. That's kind of the journey of the story and of the book. and
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and just now circling back to our conversation, that's why we need diversity because you pick up on a part of a a story that I would never experience apart from your culture and, and vice versa, right? So that's awesome. Well, Diana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. Well, thank you for listening. I hope this gave you some encouragement, maybe some things to think about, maybe an invitation just to invite God into whatever you're struggling with this week, this month. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe and then you won't miss a single episode. We'd also be encouraged if you would rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Make sure to share it wherever you share your podcast content. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free.
0: Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media.